Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Um, once again, happy Mother's Day um, to all the mothers. Um, if you're not a mother, please clap with me for all the moms. <laughs> yes, uh, you guys are awesome. Um, fun fact, um, one of the many reasons that I wish I was English or was raised, you know, in the UK besides the awesome music is I've, I've always wanted to say mum, like M-U-M, and I still have, yeah, not had that opportunity, but... Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, uh, last week we finished John chapter 10, right? And so, Jesus leaving, fleeing, getting out of town, man, because there's a bunch of Jews with rocks in their hands, and they want to throw them at Jesus. They want to kill Jesus because he says that he is God. And this leads us to chapter 11 today, and we'll go through all of chapter 11 in the book of John. I mean, it's a story of Jesus' friend, Lazarus, right? And so this is a story we all know, the story of Lazarus, or, you know, if you don't know, oh, it's a crazy story. You're in for a, for a great story today. Um, but it's a story we've all heard. So this morning, um, I didn't have notes this morning. I don't think it's that kind of sermon. And so we're just going to go through this narrative together and really look at, at five points that progress through this story the first being that, and it's probably the last thing you would expect after reading chapter 10, and so it starts off with Jesus and the disciples are going back to Jerusalem. Why would you do that? Well, we are going to find out. Um, today, our sermon is called Gladful Dead, like the Grateful Dead, but Gladful Dead. Um, and so let me pray for us before we start, church. God, you are awesome. Again, thank you for, for Mother's. Lord, uh, give them strength and joy, and um, they need more than one day, but let it be a good day for them, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help us during this uh, service this morning to embrace you as the author of life and as the resurrection. May um, we once again, Lord, may your Holy Spirit bring us in awe of just the, not only the concept of resurrection, um, but the fact that Jesus is the resurrection, and that we are all going to be resurrected, Lord. How exciting. Thank you for all this, Lord. Amen. All right, so let's pick up in John chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, um, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? And so 
that's where we are right now. And interesting that uh, Mary is the point of reference, because even at this point in history, um, this Mary is known for what she did, right? Anointing Jesus, which is what Jesus said. Jesus told her when she did that, yeah, when people talk about me, they're going to talk about you. And so right off the bat, you know, we're within, uh, I don't know, about 20 years here, and she's already referenced as the person who did that, because that, that's like, you know, a legend about her. And it's also helpful because, well, there's a bunch of Marys. And so, okay, this is the Mary we're talking about. And then we're introduced to Lazarus, who John says Jesus loves Lazarus. This is, this is his guy. And sadly, we learn that Lazarus is ill. And later it says the disciples were, were all friends with Lazarus as well. So this is just a really cool guy. But if you're a disciple, you have to be um, kind of conflicted. Because on the one hand, you're like, oh, Lazarus, oh, he's ill. Bummer. That's not cool. That's sad. But what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to, we can't go back. They literally tell Jesus that, like, that's the one not good option. Like, Jesus, like, no, they're waiting for you with rocks. They're going to throw them at you. To which Jesus responds in verse 8, no, we're going back to Judea. We're going there. And so Jesus responds in verses 9 and 10 with his explanation about why this is not a, a bad idea. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he, is, he, is the light of the, he's, he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And so Jesus, this is Jesus' very Jesus way of saying, like, I only have a certain amount of time to get a bunch of stuff done. This is daytime. This is get stuff done time. So this is what we're going to do. And again, in verse 11, Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So yes, it's dangerous. Yes, he's risking a lot. But Jesus is a great friend. Right? Jesus is a really, he's a great friend. Now, right after this, this is one of my favorite verses in this passage. Um, it shows the friendship and the banter of this group, of, of these disciples. In verse 16, it says, Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So first off, Thomas has a nickname, right? And so the twin, and who knows what that means? There's no, there's no reference to it. Is it good, bad, funny? We don't know. And I side with a lot of other people who truly believe this is sort of an inside joke. And so John is showing you, like, by saying the twin, it's a completely inside thing that maybe the original readers, oh, yeah, you know, it's the twin talking. And so, and because also I think what he says is a joke, right? And so I think this, this is a joke. And so I don't think he's being somber and serious, not after being given the nickname, right? And so what I think is happening, and it's just like in movies, um, we've seen this plenty of times where... You have the hero, and, and he's going to do this thing, and he's going to go into this ridiculously impossible situation. And he's like, we're going to go, and we're going to do this thing. You know, who's with me? Right? And you have that scene where everybody starts raising their hand. Yes, we're going to go there and do this thing. And I think that's what's happening here, where Jesus has said, yes, we're going to go back, right, into this storm, into this fire, and then you have Thomas saying, like, basically saying, essentially saying, let's go die. 
let's go die, boys. Like, let's go do it. Like, we're all in on this. And so I think sometimes we miss that a little bit. He's not being pessimistic. He's just being, yes, we're going to follow Jesus because Jesus is the kind of friend you follow, right? You're going to follow this guy. Now, it is not one of the I am sayings. Like, Jesus never says, I am a great friend. It's not one of the seven I am sayings. But if you ask Mary, Martha, uh, um, Lazarus, the disciples, anybody who talks, has been around Jesus, they would tell you he is absolutely a great friend. And I mention that because I think, you know, especially if you listen to me, we think about Jesus doctrinally. Perfect life. Sacrificial lamb, right? It's just all the, the I am sayings. But we really miss the fact that, that he's a great friend, that this is a guy that we would follow, he gives nicknames to people, like even like calling, you know, Peter the Rock, right? That, that, that's the kind of guy he is. He sticks up for women. He sticks up for children. And so just his personality is a person that we would follow. We, we, we would say that we would go die with him. And not only is Jesus a great friend, but Jesus has great compassion. Jesus has great compassion, in verse 17, it says, Jesus arrives at the tomb uh, four days after Lazarus has died. We will come back to that four days element. That, that is kind of key. But it says, starting in, in verse 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And you, and you can imagine, even if you don't know somebody, if you go into a group of people crying over somebody who's just died, it's hard not to be caught up in that, let alone somebody that you know is part of that group, you know, which he is. And Jesus is not just caught up, it says he is moved. Well, what does that mean? He is moved. And so it's actually a very difficult expression to translate. I mean, it's kind of funny, but like in this expression, you could say that he's making like a sound like a horse, is like a literal translation of that. And so what does that mean? That sounds kind of funny. Well, he's making a loud, unpleasant noise, right? He's making a sound like, you know, when, when, you, when you're trying not to cry, but it just comes out. Right? Or you're gasping and you can't withhold that gasp that's, with, that's within you. That's what, he, that, that's what moved here means. Like it is, it is not like, it's basically saying Jesus is not a pretty crier. And he, he is crying right now. He is weeping right now in, in compassion. And it says that he is greatly troubled. Troubled meaning, uh, you could translate better, trembling. Like he is shaking. Like he, he is shaking. He is crying and he is shaking. And that, that is the reality you know, of our Savior's love. You know, specifically here, you know, for a friend, right? This is the kind of friend he is. This is, this is what we're talking about. And, you know, we haven't got there yet, but in John 15, 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have, been, I have made known to you. And so Jesus is moved by compassion for his friends, right? And so that's us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a friend. This is the way Jesus, when he sees you struggle and he does see you, this is the way he reacts. Don't, don't miss what kind of friend Jesus is. And I love the fact that he talks about a theology, right? Everything my father's told me and I know about God, 
I've given to you guys. And so just think about this in your lives. As a friend, how can you bless the friends around you? Tell them about God. <laughs> Tell them about God the Father. That, that, is, that is the definition of friendship to Jesus. I told you theological things. The truth about God. You know, so that, that is something that, that we should do as well. Is we have compassion for those around, of us, uh, around us who don't have faith. And of course, what we already saw is he weeps for his friends. He weeps for his friends. In a few verses later, uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, you know, if you're a Bible trivia person, you know, we've already talked about this, I'm not good at this, but the shortest verse in the Bible is verse 35, which is Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. You know, a lot of us know that one. And of course he wept. He cares. Like, what else would he possibly do when his friend has just died and his friends are crying? That's the whole reason he came. I will say it over and over. You know, we know from Isaiah, when Jesus came to earth, he came with names, the names of his friends, right? God has that list on his body written down. And Jesus comes. I'm not going to lose all those sheep I know by name. They are my friends. And he is going to weep over them. Now, the thing that gets me about this story, and, and it's difficult to articulate theologically, but it's true, is that Jesus enters our pain. Jesus enters our pain. You know, in a few minutes, we will see that in the reality of the fact that Jesus is the resurrection, which we're going to learn in a couple of verses, he removes that pain, right? And that's our hope is that pain gets removed. But right here, it shows Jesus willingly making a decision to be in our pain, to enter the pain where we are. The incarnation wasn't just about Jesus making an appearance just to say he showed up and became a human, right? He entered the suffering, right? The human condition and the pain of humanity, the reality of sin. Because we already know, we've already seen this, Jesus can say anything and it's going to happen. He could have said four days ago, Lazarus, arise, right? Just, he didn't even have to go there. He could just say it. He could think it and, and Lazarus would, would raise from the dead, but he chooses to enter this affliction. He chooses to enter this hurt and enter it with his friends and be there for them. And because of this, we have, we have a priest, right, who knows how we suffer, who, who willfully has seen that and knows how much we need him. You know, we see from this point on that, that, that in John, this story is going to immediately start heading towards the cross. And so it's almost like this is a fuel for Jesus to enter this pain. Now, not that he forgot how desperately we need the cross. He didn't forget. But by entering their pain and weeping and shaking and making horrible noises, he's about to go to the cross. And so it's like fuel. It's like a monster drink for him. No, I, am, I, I, am, I have to do this. It is my privilege to do this for my friends because my friends suffer. I'm going to go to the cross so my friends don't have to suffer anymore. Even in Revelation, right, when he comes back, what does it say he's going to do, right, besides have a meal with us? He's going to wipe away our tears, right? There's not a whole lot of things mentioned that we're going to do with Jesus except that he's going to wipe away our tears. And so he sees our tears, he doesn't like them, and he's going to wipe them away because that's the kind of friend he is. Isn't that beautiful? But there's something interesting here, um, 
like maybe even maybe a kind of a wacky um, usage of time here, like the way that, G, that Jesus does things, his timing. Because he had plenty of time to get back before Lazarus died. Right? I mean, he literally could have just teleported, right? I mean, he could do anything, but he could have just walked slowly and still gotten there before Lazarus died. And so he takes his time, so what's up with that, right? And so to understand the timing of Jesus, we must trust him, right? We must trust God. And we trust God by having a proper view of God. The only way we could trust God is to have a proper view of God. Now, I know this is not me. I'm going to say just about anybody, everybody in this room has said at some point, like, where were you, God? Where were you when this happened? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you give me this? You know, what, why, why is this happening? Why is there suffering? Why is there death? You know, and as mothers and fathers, why do, my, why do my children make such bad decisions? Like, where are you? you? You could stop them from doing this. You know, and as we saw in the book of Job, which we're not going to go to, but the answer, the only answer the universe has to offer, the only truth is, God is God. That's it. You know, that, that was God's answer to Job, and that's the answer here. God is God. If you have a proper view of God, then you understand everything happens for a reason. And I would say it's kind of shocking, even, in verses 14 and 15, um, this sort of gladful dead verse, where it says, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad. I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so he could have went there. And he's just, he's already telling the disciples who probably don't know he's dead, oh, he's dead all right, and I'm glad, because you're going to learn something about me. And it just seems, it kind of seems out of place, but, you know, it communicates, I think, the most practical truth outside of saving faith in Christ, right? And that is God knows what he's doing, right? God God absolutely knows what he is doing. Even when we don't think so and we don't feel like he knows what he is doing, he does. And he does what is perfectly best and what's going to give him the most glory. Back in verse 4 it says, but when Jesus heard it, the news about Lazarus, uh, he said, this illness does not lead to death for it it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through this. So even when things happen, that are beyond our understanding, God isn't removed from them. Right? God is not removed from this. In this passage, we see that God is moved by this. So let me say that again. When those bad things happen and you don't think God is doing the right thing and you don't know where God is, God isn't far off removed. God is moved by what you are going through. At the same time, he can allow something to happen that breaks your heart, he can also cry with you over your broken heart. God weeps with you as he ordains that thing to pass. It isn't one or the other. That that is the great lie of our time. That lie, how, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? It's like, well, why do they have to correlate? Right? That's not a proper view of God. That's a view of man. If I'm not happy, and if I don't get everything I want when I want it, then God can't possibly exist. 
So what, they, what they're saying they actually believe in is a cosmic vending machine. And if they're not getting what they want, then, then God can't possibly exist. That is a lie. It's just a straight-up lie. And so parents, don't we understand this when we have to punish our kids, right? Or, or not even punish, but we give them advice, you know, or, or direct them in a way that we know is going to, to make them um, suffer a little bit, um, become uncomfortable. It's, it's going to be something hard for them. And we tell them, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, right? It pains me to tell you this. Like, I suffer more communicating this. But why do we do it? Because we love them. And so God does the same thing, only so much better. Like, God has perfect knowledge, right? Perfect perspective of time and history, knows how every decision plays out. And so we have to have that view of God that he sees things on a level that we don't. And he does things that are for the best. And sometimes we can't explain that. And even when we suffer, God suffers with us, but he wants what is absolutely best. And so we find in verse 7 that, that Jesus lets Lazarus die, lets him die, weeps over him to bring about the best possible scenario. Not that he wouldn't die, not that people wouldn't cry, but that God would get glory from it. And that's what Jesus explains to the disciples right there. Now, it is interesting here, um, after Jesus has to explain this to the disciples, right? This is to glorify me. You have to have a, a better view of God, a better view of me. He does not have to explain this to Martha. So let's look at this, starting in verse 20, uh, exchange between Jesus and Martha. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. <clears throat> Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So come on. What a fantastic answer, Martha. <laughs> like it is, that is fantastic. She's almost explaining what Jesus had to explain to the disciples. Yeah, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. That, that's well within your sphere. Um, but she also doesn't say, like, where were you? Like, you were wrong for not being here. And so her, her, her answer for her grief is the resurrection, right? And so her hope goes from, goes from Lazarus being healed to the fact uh, when he's resurrected, he's going to be awesome, he's going to be new, and he's going to be hanging out with all of them that are going to be new, and they're going to be with Jesus forever. And so... Her, her, her practical theology is fantastic. The answer to her grief is that resurrection. And then even when Jesus says, well, Lazarus will, will rise again, and she kind of misses this one, but, but it's also a really good miss because she's like, duh, the resurrection. Of course I'm going to see him again. We're going to be resurrected together. And again, great job, theologically sound Martha here. And I, I truly believe if Jesus wasn't weeping, man, he'd be smiling right here. Like, she got it. And I hope, women, you are encouraged by this, that, that this woman is so theologically sound. And not only that, but you're going to see Jesus is then going to expound on that and give her some more theology. And he's going to make his view of him even greater. He's going to give her hope not only in the resurrection, but he's going to explain that he is 
the resurrection. And so the hope is that he is the resurrection. So right after Martha says, um, right after Martha says that Lazarus will be re- resurrected on the last day in verses 25 and 26, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so we have the fifth of the seven I am sayings, if you guys are keeping track. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, But why is this Jesus' response? What's the difference? Didn't Martha just say that? And so what is the difference between what he said and what Martha said? First, the resurrection is a person, not an event or a day. And so Martha, great job. She deals with her grief by holding it up against the fact that the resurrection is coming. That is the way she deals with her grief. But then Jesus corrects her and says, wait, the resurrection isn't something to look forward to. Like, I am the resurrection. (laughs) And so, yes, I'm going to be there. But also, I am here now, and he's going to show her, right? We know that. And so the resurrection is actually talking to her. He's a person, not a specific day. Second, Jesus doesn't just have the ability to resurrect. He is the resurrection. And so this is not even a concept outside of Jesus Christ. Somebody can be dead for four days and and come back to life. You know, I've heard the argument that, well, we could do that in modern science. Within seconds or minutes, yes. You know, but every, all all the cells are still alive. Like, everything's still technically alive, but we don't have any science, no machines that are bringing anybody back after four days, right? So that's the difference here. And we will see very specific reason that it's four days is for that. You know, and it almost sounds arrogant to say he is the resurrection, except for the fact he's about to resurrect somebody, and in a week or two, he's going to be resurrected himself. So it might sound arrogant for a couple weeks, but then, no, absolutely not. This is the resurrection. Third, Jesus doesn't just have life. He is life. Jesus has already said he is the bread of life. He is the stuff life is made out of. Literally, he's like life is made out of Jesus, created by Jesus. It is held together by his will. We have life today, right? We are alive today because Jesus is life, right? Jesus is life is why we are alive today. And so who else could defeat death except for one who calls himself the resurrection, and the life. That's the guy who's going to take on death. And so at this point, yeah, it's time to show Martha, right? Or he's, he's made this, this declaration, right? He's the resurrection and the life. So now let, let's, see him, let's see him back it up. So starting in verse 38, <clears throat> then Jesus, deeply moved again, so he's having a miserable time, came to the tomb. It was a cave. Whoops. A typo here. And then Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. It's going to smell like a bunch of dead people, for he has been dead four days. So what is the significance of four days? Well, the reason for this is there's a a, a technical belief in this community, especially among the Jewish people, that you don't die really until the fourth day. (laughs) And so... The first three days, your spirit, it leaves your body, but doesn't go far. 
It's, I, I don't know what you'd call that, but it's, it's, it's hovering above or hanging out around. It doesn't leave. And so there was stories of people two or three days later, I guess, where they came back to life. And so that's where that comes from. And so the reason that Jesus waits and takes the really long way to go a very short journey is so that nobody can argue about what's about to happen. It's been four days, even by all the absurd technicalities. Nobody can dispute this, and we will see nobody does dispute it, because it's been four days. And so, let's continue reading, starting in verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And so Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. Yeah, and it's not a pretty scene. I mean, poor Lazarus. I mean, if, you were, if you were him, the first thing you're doing, right, you're trying to tear this thing off your face, right? And so the first thing Jesus says, because he's a compassionate friend, get, the, get those wraps off of his face so he can breathe. <clears throat> so he's alive again. And so what does that mean? Well, Jesus said what it means. I showed you this so you believe. So, hey, I'm giving you a little hint, giving you a little hint. Maybe in a week or two, you're going to see this happen again, right? But you're going to be familiar with it because I just explained that I am the resurrection and I showed you that I am the resurrection. So when you see this happen, you would believe, right? It's the whole point of this, that you believe. All this crazy God mode, God moves that Jesus does is so that you would believe, the resurrection means that we can believe somebody who calls themselves the resurrection, right? And it's not arrogance, right? No, he's the hero. In verse 29, it says, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And so the application of this miracle, of this grand theological reality, is just a yes or no question. Do you believe? crazy true story. Do you believe it happened? The implications of your belief in this story, right, and his resurrection a couple weeks later, it, it, it changes everything for you. And so let me, like, if you, let's say you had never heard of Christianity. You've never heard of this guy who calls himself the resurrection and the life. What would you do to be resurrected? You heard there's an opportunity that, hey, you heard somewhere you can do something and you wouldn't die or, or you would come back to life and live forever. What would you give for that? My guess is you'd give everything, right? What wouldn't you possibly give to be resurrected? And yet here, Jesus just asks us to believe in him. Right? Throughout all the Gospels, throughout all the New Testament, the only requirement is that you believe. Like, believe what? Well, that he's the resurrection. Believe he has that power. That's all he asks. Just believe that everything he says is true. And he doesn't just say it. 
he shows you, like, hey, believe in the resurrection as I resurrect and as I am resurrected. You should totally believe in this. And I think, I think we forget how in awe we should be. Church, do we forget how in awe we should be of this? It's insane, right? It's not the deal of the century. It's the deal of eternity. I just have to believe. You know, and it's not, you're not sacrificing your morals to do this. Like, this is a guy who you would follow anyway. This is a cool friend who weeps for you and, and will go into battle for you and go into the danger zone for you and will give you nicknames and wants to hang out with you and gives his life for you. And he's just asking you to follow him and believe in him. It, it is the sweetest deal ever. And I, I think even myself, I forget that it is just incredible that the gospel is incredible. What an incredible offer to follow Jesus. Like how can we not? In fact, it says here in verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. And so these Jews, some of them, they're like, Oh man, yeah, I'm in. Are you kidding me? Like this dude, this dude was in the grave for four days. Yes, I'm in. Like... Uh, Mary, Martha, we're going to be hanging out a lot. We're going to be disciples as well. We are absolutely following now. You know. And what's cool is we'll get to see them someday and, and maybe even have that conversation with them, right? Those who now follow Jesus, we can, hey, what was it like that day? Like, seriously, how could he breathe with all this stuff on his face? Like, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have these conversations. And so, <clears throat> who wouldn't believe? Who wouldn't believe, though? Who wouldn't believe and so, and yes, we know the answer. We've read through the book. We know the answer, starting in verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests, cue the villainous music, and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And, of course, their place is the emphasis. Um, and so, okay, one thing that we notice from this, they don't dispute that this guy was raised from the dead. Right? It's been four days. They can't. <clears throat> so, absolutely, they don't dispute he was raised from the dead. They've also seen that many people are now following Jesus because of this. This is not good for them. Um, after all, it will make them lose their place. Right? Because if the Romans get winds that, hey, there's an uprising. There's people who are saying this guy is God. They're calling him king. Well, if the Romans come into town, who loses their power? The Pharisees. Right? The Pharisees are supposed to keep you know, Israel under control. And if they lose control, they lose their position. And so this is, this is, not, this is not good for them. But this is what happens when you make decisions out of fear. Right? They're afraid of losing their position. That's what they said. You make decisions out of fear, you make bad decisions, and you miss Jesus, the greatest person, the greatest deal of all eternity. You miss out on the resurrection because what? You're afraid to lose something? A title, position, power? Lose Sunday mornings to watch football? Like losing friends because of, of your religion? What are you afraid to lose? You, know, you, you can't be afraid, you can't have that fear. It makes you make bad decisions. 
And so in fear, as we've already seen, the Jews come up with the worst plan ever. And so, uh, and they're just, their motivation is their comfort, right? And their authority and power. So, verse 53, when you make a really bad decision because you're scared. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. They made plans to put him to death. The plan is to kill Jesus, to spare them trouble. Why is this a horrible plan? Based on this context. <coughs> well, to explain this, imagine you are a villain trying to kill the Fantastic Four. And so we will see the Fantastic Four. And you want to kill them. And you're scared because, I mean, they're powerful, they're scientists, they're smart. And so you come up with a plan. Okay, I have a plan to get rid of all of them. Let's, first off, let, let's target and shoot and kill the invisible woman. Well, she's invisible. It's a horrible plan. All right, you guys have all those rocks you wanted to throw at Jesus. Let, let's throw them at the thing. He's a giant rock. Like, it's not going to hurt him. Or, hey, let, let's, um, let's get Mr. Fantastic who can just stretch Limitless stretching. Let's get Mr. Fantastic, you know, and let's just, let's just stretch him, right? Let, let, let's put him on the machine and just pull him. Well, it's not going to have an effect, right? Or let's capture the human torch. Capture him and light him on fire. He's already on fire. Why is this such a horrible plan? Well, well this is exactly what's happening in their plan. Jesus has just said... I am the resurrection and the life. Their plan is to kill the resurrection and the life. How is that a good plan? Kill the guy who can't be killed? Kill the guy who invented life? You know, not, not, and this is a horrible plan because also if they could possibly kill Jesus, they would cease to exist because he is life. And so in fear, they've come up with the worst plan to kill the resurrection and the life. And yet we see in the world today, people still trying to kill Christianity, right? The church, right, of Christ, who, who we are his body and he is our head and he is the resurrection. And so uh, the world has martyred people and the church doesn't die, Right? And tried to shame people, and the church doesn't die. Call it names, uh, make it uncool, ban it, and what? The church doesn't die. Right? You burn a church building down, what happens? It comes back up. You kill people, church gets bigger. And so it continuously gets resurrected because Jesus is the resurrection, and his body, the church, continuously gets resurrected. And it's even said you know, that the church is built you know, by the blood of the martyrs. Right? Every time somebody thinks they destroy the church, comes back, just, just bigger. You know, and that's my prayer for, for our country right now. Yeah, yeah, you guys think the church is going down and it, you guys are destroying it? No. No, it, it's coming back and it's coming back bigger and better. And so the question that we have to answer is how do we react to the resurrection? Like what's our, we saw some entirely different reactions to the resurrection here. Do we try and kill him? Do we deny the resurrection because we're scared of losing something else that we treasure more? Or do we believe in the resurrection? Not just the future event, but in the person. Do we believe in the resurrection? So let me pray for us. 
We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.